thank you guys both for taking the time to do this interview. Sure, we're, we're uh, very uh, happy to do it and we're trusting that, you know, there will be good outcome, you know, from our, our work together and, and yeah, we're just hoping for, you know, good things. We felt God give us a call um, just to try to do it quickly. I worked uh, in uh, the transportation industry uh, in trucking and then also on the railroad for somewhat around 18 plus years. And, oh. and uh, uh, we were doing church work on the side as well and doing this leadership training. And I just felt God call me into full-time uh, ministry. And so I left the railroad, but also left a million dollar retirement. So, you know, the railroad retirement is a big, big deal. I mean, it's a lot of, uh, it's a great retirement. And one day I was um, on my way to my uh, office. I was a pastor at a local church. It was thriving and it was just healthy. And it was very, very, um, it was just a very blessed congregation. And I had a blessed staff uh, and ministry um, there. And I was just going up over those railroad tracks and I looked down the double main line and I just asked God, I said, God, was it really worth leaving all of that to do this? Cause I was feeling a little bit down, you know, because I thought there just had to be more. And I heard this voice, like, you know, we've talked about a couple of times in our story. I heard, I heard what I thought was the Lord's voice. And he just said to me, so what do you want? Wow. And at that particular time, I, I thought about, uh, uh, King Solomon. And, you know, when God says, uh, you know, whatever you ask, I'll give you. And of course, Solomon asked for wisdom to, to govern Israel, right? Yeah. And I thought that was really spiritual, but I'm going to get even one more spiritual than that, right? You know, and I said, God, I just asked for one soul to come into your kingdom for every dollar I left on the railroad. So out of that, uh, you know, and I, I just thought it was kind of a funny, you know, uh, conversation I was having with my conscience or I, I, you know, I wasn't really a divine thing at that moment. It was just kind of like, but then I heard God speak again and he said, okay. And out of that was born the vision of a million souls for Christ through planting churches. And I thought it was going to be here in America. I thought, you know, uh, you know, somehow, some way, uh, but then a, a prophetic person, you know, came to me and says, Dan, you're not going to see a million souls come to Christ in America, but you will see a million souls come to Christ in Myanmar, because she knew I'd been going back and forth over there. So out of that was born the mission that we left our church. I mean, I transitioned it to the leadership that I'd trained up. And so it was a very healthy transition and they're still there today. And we uh, raised all the funds that we, you know, that was like about $7,000 a month we had to raise plus what, 50,000 in, in wow. project money, <laughs> a lot of money. <laughs> right. uh, and, um, and we left America and we, Sandy and I flew to, uh, all the way over there. Of course, we'd been over there a number of times, but uh, not, not to, to live, live. <laughs> not to live, you know. And so we, we took all of our stuff over there that we could in about six uh, suitcases and trunks and set up a house over there and began to work with uh, the indigenous uh, people there uh, and some of the believers that were there and raised them up as church planters. And uh, long story short, uh, 
through uh, about six years uh, with the uh, world mission there, uh, we, uh, we, we seen uh, 70 churches uh, planted in the Buddhist nation of Myanmar. And uh, we just got a word from our area director uh, who's lit in Bangkok and he, he's over all of Asia Pacific, uh, several hundred uh, missionaries in that whole region, uh, you know, Thailand, Laos and all those Asia Pacific countries. And uh, he said, Dan, uh, it was the, the, the mission of a million souls, uh, that vision that brought those 70 churches to be planted. And, uh, then, um, and then also the indigenous church that was there had a heart change and a mindset change, not just to reach their own tribal people, but to reach the predominantly 80% people group there, which are Buddhists, the Bama Buddhist people, because they hated them but their hearts changed to begin to reach out to them. And so a great shift has happened. And he says, I know, I know, uh, and I'm confident that thousands of souls have already come to know Christ as Lord and Savior. And he says, I know that millions will. And so, of course, you know, cancer, COVID, and the coup <laughs> uh, has uh, caused us not to be able to get back in. Uh, at this point, but uh, we're still raising funds and raising awareness, um, building a Bible college and uh, some other things, uh, some churches and things like that. So that's kind of how it happened, I think, in a nutshell. And that was a little bit bigger than a nutshell. But <laughs> we, we figured out how to live there and, and do fun things and obey the Lord and do our work. A lot, of hardships, yeah. a lot of hardships in the, uh, the weather, learning how to cope with uh, 100 plus degrees and 100% humidity. Uh, then uh, it was either dry or then it was just deluge of rain. And then, of course, the food, trying to learn how to eat food without getting sick. And then the water, you know, you couldn't drink the water. So, you had it. so there are a lot of hardships in that way. Um, travel was hard, trying to get to places around the nation um, was hard on you. Um, and then, and then speaking of travel, I mean, that was, that change is one of the reasons, right? That's when the accident happened. Mm -hmm. so yeah, and it wasn't really an accident in, in, except it was just more, more of, I mean, I didn't, you know, I didn't crash or anything. It was just a, a, a sudden jar that tweaked the left side of my back that uh, caused me to go in and get it checked out after the pain increased rather than decreased. And of course, after four or five mm. similar and same diagnosis of a uh, sprain down the left side of my spine, a sprained and muscle, um, you know, that, that was uh, in itself a, you know, to, the fact that we went back in to finally press them enough to give us a CAT scan in an international hospital in Bangkok. Uh, yeah, I don't think I'd be here today if that, if I wouldn't have hit that pothole, because I'd just been going on thinking I had indigestion and back pain and da 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 da, da and it would have probably went to stage four, because it was right at the verge of going to stage four. Sure, and you're already living in this um, country that you're not used to, sleeping differently, eating yep. different food, so it all um, kind of lined up those symptoms with your lifestyle. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. We wouldn't have, we wouldn't have seen a, a, you, you know, wouldn't have been a serious signal because I'd already suffered dengue fever while I was there. 
so that's kind of like malaria, you know, and I was, man, I was just wiped out from that. Um, but it's very possible I could have been wiped out somewhat from cancer, you know, and I just didn't know it. He kept saying during that time, and it took him a long time to get better from the dengue fever, other people would be, have, get it, and they would get better in maybe two weeks, four weeks. But he kept saying, man, I think there's something else wrong with me. I think there's something else wrong with me. Why am, not, why am I not getting better? Why am I not getting better? So I'm pretty sure that his body was dealing with cancer and dengue things. fever. Man. Right, right. No fun. So tell me about the, the diagnosis. I mean, hearing that diagnosis. So after being diagnosed with back pain, you know, a, a sprained, uh, you know, you're just kind of like, well, I can push through this. I've pushed through dengue fever. I've pushed through a lot of different, you know, foodborne illnesses or whatever. And, uh, but when we, when we got the CT scan and uh, we met with the, it just so happened to be that two days prior to getting that CT scan, a, a very uh, prominent uh, doctor in the oncology department at Sloan Kettering in New York is a Thai. And he's did all of his practice there in New York and then retired and moved back to Bangkok to Thailand wow. to, to, to uh, volunteer at Hospital, which is the big international hospital there in that region to assist them in their uh, oncology department to, 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 to get it up to speed to world-class. And uh, it just so happened that he, he just walked in the building there two days before this and they, they asked him to do the biopsy. Uh, and uh, so he does the biopsy and I think I, I'm his first patient that he sees and, and he just kind of looked at us and just said, man, you got pancreatic cancer. It didn't register at first, pancreatic cancer, what, the, what is that? Right. And then of course we had, after they studied the biopsy a little more, we had a meeting with them yeah, and, that's when I was and tried to figure out, so what do we do? And obviously, even though Bumingrad is a very world-class hospital, they, they didn't have the track record for pancreatic cancer, I, I would say. You know, they could, have, they could have given me chemo, but, you know, they didn't have the resources. So, so, you know, we, we were just devastated. And I remember walking back to the hotel in Bangkok and just kind of stunned and dazed and trying to stay positive. And uh, I remember getting into the hotel room and it was, you know, and I was trying to, trying to manage the pain in my back and uh, we laid down on the bed, it was dark and we, it, I was so devastated, I couldn't even breathe. I was just like, you just couldn't hardly breathe because you know, you're just, you know, at the peak of our mission. I mean, I had a platform in the entire nation of Myanmar, you know, and to think, God, what, why would you allow this to happen? You know, are you punishing me? Did I make some huge mistake? Uh, you know, you, everything goes through your mind. And 
I remember laying there just in agony and in torment. And Sandy, I don't know. I I, I can't imagine what she was feeling because mess, mess, she mess. was just, yeah. And and I just remember, uh, Miranda, uh, a, a peaceful presence come up the left side of my bed. And I don't know what it was, if it was an angel or if it was Jesus, I don't know. I didn't see anything, but I could just sense a peaceful presence because all of that anguish and torment just left for a moment. Wow. And then I heard again, you know, kind of like I heard the million souls type thing. Uh, I heard the voice of God, I believe. And he said, Dan, I want you to remember how many times I have rescued you from imminent danger and death. And I started thinking about that real quick. And I had had many times where I, you know, was close calls. And, and then I heard him speak again. And he just said, I will rescue you again. And I thought, wow, well, I, I was just trying to get my mind around that. And then all of the torment came back just like that. <laughs> and we had to walk through this just horrific time of trying to get out of Myanmar in the next few days, get rid of all of our stuff, get rid of all of our, meet with all of our friends who, you know, were trying to help us. And But we always kept thinking about what that what that that voice said we held on to that tight because we really believe that god was speaking and we trusted him so that was a, an encouragement even though we were still going through all of the hard things yeah kept a hold of that promise yeah there was pain and of course it was a death sentence you know at least that's the way they made it sound and uh uh, of course, our children back home then, my daughter Amy and my son Andy, went right to work researching everything, right? And so my son is, uh, he's a vice president of, uh, of uh, marketing and sales for a nutraceutical company called Orthomolecular. Ortho and they basically sell natural-based uh, medicines to hospitals and doctors and, and you know. Wow. And, uh, so he had a little bit of an affinity towards uh, understanding a lot of the language and, and such because he deals with cancer doctors and stuff like that quite a bit. And uh, so they went to work and he went on the internet and started searching and searching. And when he went in to read the journals and things like this, you know, Dr. Evans name kept popping up and he just, him and Amy, and then, and then my daughter, Amy, had a friend that she worked with. And this friend's mother got pancreatic cancer and was going to go to Fredert and was told to go to Fredert, but she decided to stay in Wausau, Wisconsin to get this Whipple done. And she died on the operating table. Wow. And so my daughter, Amy's friend said to Amy, whatever you do, get him to freighter <laughs> so between my daughter and then what my son read on the internet those two managed to call uh dr evans office and we also called university madison and they wouldn't even they wouldn't even touch me and without without all of my records number one and a referral from a general practitioner and I'm sitting there going, dude, I've, I've been I've been overseas. I mean, it was just like, hey, we didn't even talk to you. But Dr. Evans had me in in two days. We landed 
in Chicago on a Saturday and Monday. Yeah. Right? Right. Monday, we were in his office yeah. and he was looking at the scans that were taken from at Bangkok because we had them shipped over digitally. And then he did his own CT scan and confirmed. Yeah. So that's kind of the diagnosis was just devastating. I, and I'm a pretty strong and positive and, you know, faith-filled person. So it devastated me. I can't imagine people that don't have any hope of help from, <laughs> I can't imagine how they, wow. Yeah. Deal with it. But. So then after uh, meeting with Dr. Evans, what was his response after doing that second CT scan? So, you know, uh, I remember him just clicking back and forth in his computer, looking at these images, you know, clicking back and forth. And I'm thinking, I'm going, man, what is, you know, what's going on here? I don't know what he's thinking or whatever, but he's just looking and, and he's, he's, he's looking. And, and then I think, uh, you know, his response, uh, one of the things he said, he says, you know, after he found out that I was a missionary and, you know, the thing he says, pancreatic cancer only happens to wonderful people. He said that. And I'm going, what? <laughs> he said, he said, it's, you just go look at my patients. They're all amazing people. And he says, I don't know what it is, but it's a, it's a, I don't know whether it's a phenomenon or whether it's just what it is. But anyway, I remember him saying that. And then he said, you know, we, you've got a stage three and the tumors wrapped around your, is it the celiac nerve, celiac artery or something like that. And of course the tumor had uh, wrapped around some of those arteries. And he said, uh, he said, we're gonna have to try to go through a process and uh, get this thing sh shrunk so that uh, we can hopefully do surgery. And uh, he says, but what I can tell you right now is that we have a plan. He says, we have a plan. And of course that plan was, uh, you know, the chemo and then the, uh, the radiation and then the surgery. Uh, and the, the chemo and radiation, the way they did it, uh, it did shrink the tumor uh, enough to where he could go in and uh, get, uh, get the tumor out and then rework the arteries that were, um, you know, that, that the tumor had infected there. And so- By taking those veins out of your leg. Yeah, I took veins out of the inside Thankfully, of my legs. He also did does vascular surgery too, so he could do it all. Right. So Sandy, uh, what was your reaction when you heard those words, we have a plan? You know, Dr. Evans is an amazing man. At that point, I didn't realize how amazing he was, but just to hear somebody have a positive, you know, outlook and he, they, the whole time we have been with them, especially at the beginning that all of his staff and people were so positive. Don't be negative. Being positive is going to help you hundred percent. And I mean, that's, that's what you learn by reading the Bible anyway. So we have that mindset, but yet when you're in the hard struggles, sometimes it's hard to be, to remain positive. So we were very hopeful. We were very hopeful and very thankful that God had directed us 
to Dr. Evans and his team. They were an answer to prayer and they just performed in a way that we just didn't even believe could happen. So it, it was really great. Such a compassionate man and his staff is just wonderful. We've just we just only have great and glowing things to say about them. So then um, going through that next step of the chemo before you got to the surgery, what was that like for you guys? I mean, how did you stay positive during that season? Well, I think, I think um, that was the hardest. That was the hardest because the the chemo, I think directly, causes some depression i mean the drug itself it it, uh, it causes you to feel depressed and just and the first uh, round of chemo or a couple rounds was with fulferinox and it just did not work i mean it my cancer count went down just a couple ticks and then it went up it was going up and uh fulferinox almost killed me i mean it, it was horrible uh i couldn't i would yeah couldn't imagine going through it again uh, but uh he didn't when, hardly get out of bed yeah, he just couldn't, couldn't eat he was uh, dark it was just it was a dark time yeah it was not a good time and um i just remember uh dr evans after the second round of pharynox and it didn't didn't move at all he jumped up out of his chair ran out of the office and literally called the oncologist here in stevens point where i live which is two hours away from milwaukee and called him and said, switch it to gemcitabine or, you know, gem, gemcitabine. And uh, he was already working in the back of his mind about, you know, um, this clinical trial, which is matching uh, certain chemo to the actual cell, what kind of cell, cancer cell it is. And of course, apparently I had a basal uh, type cancer cell because gemcitabine then just knocked that cancer right out. It just my cancer count CA19 just kept dropping by like half, 500%. By half, yeah. yeah. By half every, every, every cycle yeah. and uh, got it right down to like 15, you know, from 2000 plus. And then it went down to then normal, it went down to normal six, range. Yeah. yeah. Six. And so, so, uh, you know, in the deepest, darkest of, of uh, times, the depression and just, it just feels like you're going to die. And it looks like, and then you start thinking about all of the, the people that you love and you care about and your grandchildren, your children and your wife and friends and your church and the mission. And it's like, wow, that could all be over for me. And it could really bring a lot of pain to people around me. And it just was dark. And I just remember crying out to God saying, you know, I know you're the God of the mountaintop because we always feel that, but I also believe, I believe that you're the God of the valley as well, even though I don't feel it. And I remember the Lord uh, just speaking to me to begin to pray and get my mind shifted on other people who are going through cancer. And so we began to pray for others that we knew that we're going through cancer and other people with pancreatic cancer that we don't even know. We just started praying our mind uh, set was on other people uh, in prayer. And it was, it was like the difference between night and day. 
when, when you stop focusing on yourself and your own pain and your own, uh, you know, darkness and you begin to trust uh, God to help somebody else, right? Uh, it, you know, we, my spirit was encouraged and uh, I was hopeful and I was at peace. No matter what would happen, I was just at peace with it all. Well, we also started praying for Dr. Evans yeah. and the team yeah. and for his research. Mm -hmm. When you're in the midst of that trouble and that troubling, you know, you just, you just realize I need to pray for this and, and just yeah. continue to cry out for a cure, for a cure, because there's so many people that are going through this. So, yeah, it was, it was a hard we, time. We read aloud the Psalms, you know, yeah. so many Psalms that just bring so much positive. Right. Uh, David verses. and his cohort were going through a lot of, you know, terrible stuff. And so, yeah, I think, I think that would be the, uh, the uh, the one thing I guess would be the prayer that really did change um, the way we felt in that you know kind of took away the depression. And after his surgery, he had such a rocky recovery. He had so many things go wrong. He was in the hospital there for not consecutively, but for over sixty days. Wow! And so. We had a lot of time in that room and they allowed, he has that special uh, floor. And so the spouses can stay there. So I was allowed to stay in the, in the room. So all but one night I stayed with him, which, you know, some people are like, how did you do that? But I was blessed and happy to do it. I mean, they come in in the morning, early and night, the staff, you know, to talk, the doctors, I didn't want to miss all that. I mean, half the time he couldn't, he didn't know what was going on. So I was, I was so blessed that I could do that. So, but yeah, it was a rough time. And that's basically when we especially started praying the, or reading the Psalms and read to him, we would play worship music, continue praying for other people because it was so rough, but the staff and the nurses, yeah. they were wonderful. Incredible. They were just wonderful. So we were just a, so a true, a thankful. True, uh... A, a true picture of empathy, you know, what that looks like in action. And that makes all the difference, I'm sure, having someone that empathizes with you, even though they're, they're seeing it every day. Yep. I have Absolutely. one quick comment to that. After he uh, had his nine and a half hour surgery, we were waiting for Dr. Evans to, to come that night. And it was a long night. It was probably, probably 30 or nine before we saw him, but he came in the room and and Dan had said, Doc, am I going to make it? And Dr. Evans grabbed his hand and he said, you're going to make it. Isn't that the way he said it? Yeah. You're going to make it. And my, my daughter-in-law was sitting there with me. And it was so compassionate. We both just started getting tears in our eyes and just were like, oh, my gosh. He did that a couple times. And that that to us was just so amazing and so yeah. just blessed and touched us so much yeah wow speaks to his wonderful character mm -hmm. so so after the surgery you had that that rough period of recovery tell me about coming out of that and how you're feeling now <laughs> makes me cry just to think about it 
Yeah, I, it was, it was just rough. I mean, all of the different body functions that just weren't lining up, you know, and you know, your body is not doing what it's supposed to do. And you're trying to, you know, press through. And I just remember after surgery, I just could not eat. And of course she was trying to, hey, you gotta eat, you gotta eat, you know, and she bring me all this stuff and you gotta eat. And I just, oh, I just, I try to eat and I just couldn't eat. And I'll never forget Dr. Evans coming in and said, doc, man, so I just can't eat. And he just looked at me and said, well, then don't. <laughs> yeah, he just said, don't. And I go, really? He said, yeah, it's just, don't eat until you, until you can. And so I remember, I remember going four days, laying in there day and night for four days, never ate a thing. But, and it felt so good. I was just like, oh, you know, I found some. That's when they put him on this, the liquid, uh, yeah. the, what is that called? I can't remember the name. It's liquid food. Or yeah, whatever. it's a liquid food and it, it goes into intravenously. Yeah, or, through his port. And oh my gosh, that was another experience. TPN, yeah, it? TPN, total something yeah. nutrition. I don't know what the P stands for. Okay. Yeah. So, so when at the hospital, great, you know, they would take care of all that. But then when we would come home, we had to learn how to administered to that to him through his port and there was this oh, little man. pump thing that oh, that was, and so, it was so hard and so much stress and pressure on me because right. i had to learn how to do it we did it together though which was really great that was the hardest st most stressful period of time out of yeah. all of it it was. was being left home alone with all of the stuff that we had to do ourselves, you know, flushing port and and hooking up this TPN and making sure it was going right and making sure. And I mean, you know, I'm not feeling good. I'm in pain. I'm, you know, and it's just like, and she's not really like. <laughs> I'm not into nursing. <laughs> she's not into this stuff. And so like she's saying, you know, "Damn, what do we do? What do we do? How do you do this?" And I'm going. Uh, they did. We did try home health care, and they would come in and they tell you what to do. And then they just leave. And then they leave. So we had not. We did not that have a, not good a good experience, experience with no. them. So you had to become a, a nurse overnight. Yeah. And then and then all the medication he was on, and I, you know, obviously I was responsible for doing that and getting him up at night. You know, every so often he'd have to have all that. So that that was stressful. And, you know, and I and I had that. Yeah that hose coming out of my side. Yeah, he had a drain because- So I couldn't, I couldn't oh. lay on that side. And that thing was just cutting me all the time. It was like a knife going into my side. And I was in oh. so much pain. It was like, oh, every time I'd move and then I'd find a comfortable spot. And, uh, and then uh, I'd have to go get up and do something, you know? And, and so, and then I guess the other thing that just comes to mind when you ask that question is, is, uh, I would get infections and uh, it would cause what they call rigors. And all of a sudden I would just, I would just get really cold on the inside and then I'd just start shaking. I would just tremor everywhere and I would just shake and I couldn't stop it. And I remember my jaw would just tighten up and I'd try to stop it. And, and uh, that, was, that was scary. That I mean, happened I mean, at home and that was pretty scary. And then 
he he had to take ambulance to to back to freighter because of that one time but he had three infections and at one point he had two at the same time oh my goodness and and they couldn't figure out what it was so they didn't know what to how to treat him so it went on and on and that was one of the really long stretches he was in the hospital because they just they couldn't do it they couldn't figure it out he was on that tpn uh, which I'm glad we were in the hospital. So thankful because when, when he was here and he started doing that, oh. The, uh, oh, the that infectious was... d- disease doctor at Freighter, the, the guy that's over all of the infectious disease, he would come into my room and sit on the foot of my bed and he'd just sit there and he'd say, Dan, we just can't figure this out, but we're going to, you know. Uh, what did you do in Burma? And, you know, because he was going through all of these, uh, tropical disease things that could possibly be it you know and i said well i've been to places that uh, yeah who knows what what i could have picked up but so i think he just he just threw the atomic or the nuclear antibiotics at me you know everything he had and eventually eventually it took care of it but and remember that cocktail that dr evans did for you because what why why did you have to have that I was just in so much pain. So much I couldn't, pain. I couldn't, yeah. I couldn't. So, so, yeah, so it was. He mixed up what he called Dr. Evans' own cocktail <laughs> when he would give that to me. <laughs> yeah, some kind of a pain reducer. And I thought, now nah, this is working, Doc. I, I think I might need that again. <laughs> yeah, that's. <laughs> so. Well, okay. So then when did it start to get better? The surgery was in March of 2019 and our daughter was getting, was going to be married in, in September. So that was one of our goals to see him be able to walk her down the aisle. And he was able to do that. He was able to be there for the whole wedding. He got tired toward the end of the reception and he was very thin but he was able to be there. So we are so thankful and she is especially thankful. So, you know, I planted a garden and, you know, I'm back to work, you know, I'm ministering most, most weekends, most Sundays and um, traveling for meetings. And uh, so, yeah. He used to have to take a nap like every day, at least two hours. So, but now once in a while, he'll have to take a nap, but yeah, so he's improved a lot in that in that respect. So doing a lot more work. At first, he couldn't he couldn't do yard work. He couldn't have a garden for a while, you know, for a couple. Right. Of so he's doing much better in that respect. So awesome. living more like normal people now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. Which is awesome. So, what would you say to someone who? hears this story and hears about, you know, how difficult the journey was, um, what would you say to encourage them that it's worth it and, and not to give up on those hard parts? Right. I, I would say that our minds make it way worse than it really is. Because when you're under such good care, like with Dr. Evans' team, it just takes a huge, huge weight off of you. And and, um, you know, I would, just, I would just tell people that there's always hope, that, that there's always hope. And, and, you know, things can change, you know, for the better. And to keep your mind 
set on that and that there are people uh, here like Dr. Evans, his team and Dr. Von Hoff in their team and, and others who are dedicated to really look out for your health and your life. They're there to go to bat to give you every possible chance of making it. And, uh, and, and that we should, we should work with them and uh, you know, uh, help them do their job the best they can do by, by remaining positive and being full and keeping a, an attitude that is uh, gracious and uh, you know, uh, helping them do the best they can do. And, and um, I, would, I, would just, I would just say also that you have to start out. Dr. Evans told me, he says, Dan, this is not a sprint. This is a marathon. You're gonna run a marathon here. And so you've got to pace yourself. It's gonna be the long haul. And so if you get the mindset that this is a long haul, uh, you, you can just take it a piece at a time, you know, one piece at a time, you know, you put a puzzle together one piece at a time and you can't try to get the whole picture done at once. And, you know, we've always heard the, the old adage of how do you eat an elephant, right? <laughs> one bite at a time. Uh, and it's over a long period of time, uh, that you see the results. And, uh, and I also would tell people that when you're in these types of uh, life-threatening uh, diseases, right, that you need to think beyond the here and now. I mean, you know, you, ne you, need, to, you need to think about the big picture and not just our life here on this earth. I, I, think, I think that it's the perfect time to think about spiritual things. And, and because I think the spirit is the very core of man. And if we can, we can see our spirit uh, become healthy and regenerated and that it, it does help the body, uh, you know, uh, heal. And so I believe that, you know, hope, help and healing are something that you know, I want to be a part of bringing to others. And I'm not talking about, you know, being a Bible thumper and my way is the, the only way, you know, but I do believe that there is a, a true way, you know, that people can consider during these times of, you know, the, the darkness. And when you're in the darkness, you need to see some light <laughs> and hope. And so I want to be a hope dealer. I want to deal hope. You know, I'm not a drug dealer. I'm not any other. I want to be a hope dealer. You know, I want to, I want to bring hope to the points of pain, wherever that may be. You know, people suffer, not just with cancer, but they're suffering in so many other ways in our world. And I want to be a, a person that, by God's grace and with his help, can bring hope, help, and healing to them during these times. And it could be the worst of times, but you know, it, it, it could also possibly be the best of times. Sometimes in the valley, in the darkness, it's where we really meet the light. It's where we really understand things and how temporary life is. And maybe there is something beyond this natural touch, taste and feel uh, life that we live. 
this carnal everyday human life. Maybe there's something beyond that that we should discover and maybe we should invest in that. Like, and, um, and so I, I want to help people to see that, you know, God is the God of the valley, not just the mountaintop. And there's things that we learn in the valley that can be extremely uh, valuable and they can be a blessing. Uh, and so make it positive. You're there anyway. You're not going to get out right, of it. Right. You're in this dark valley of pancreatic cancer. Let's make the best of it. Let's let's bring some light into it. Let's bring some hope. Let's bring some, you know, some joy. And you know what? Let's bring some love. Gather your family around you. Yeah, it could be the greatest time of family bonding. And there's just so many things that can happen in the in the dark times, in the valleys. And I want to help people discover that, you know, if I can. And I know not everybody will want to, you know, listen to me or uh, buy into my view or my experience, but maybe some will. Maybe some will be helped. Maybe some will find encouragement and hope. And I think, and I'm just going to lay it out there, you can edit this out if you want, but I do believe that if enough people, Miranda, can gather together and in goodwill and faith, that we can see breakthroughs in this, in this thing called pancreatic cancer, that we can see cure and we can see um, new ways of, of diagnosing uh, early diagnosis, you know, um, and I think, I think some of the discoveries they've already made so far is because other people have really cried out. People have lost their loved ones. People have, have watched this horrible disease eat away at the people they love the most. And I think they've cried out to God for help. They've cried out to God to help find a cure for that next person that they don't have to suffer that way. And that's what I'm about. And well, I one think thing that, that one uh, piece of advice that you gave it, um, when I asked the question of how would you encourage someone going through the journey, you know, you said it's not just about your, your physical health or your mental health. Um, think about your spirit as well. Where would you suggest that someone starts if they've never considered that aspect? What's a good uh, starting point or, you know, a practical step? I guess from a general perspective, I would, I would encourage people just to go somewhere that is the most beautiful spot that they know of on earth. Maybe it's their backyard, maybe it's somewhere and just take measured time and look at creation. Just look, look at what is around you you know, in the trees and in the flowers and in the bees and in the grass and in your dog and your cat and your, your husband or your wife or your children and, and meditate on the majesty of all that you see and the intricate, the intricate design of all of that. The intricate design of our bodies. Look how many years Dr. Evans has had to study and how much energy he has given his entire life 
just to cut me open and take out a hunk of bad stuff and reroute some, uh, some wires in there, you know, because we are so fearfully and wonderfully made. We are so, our, our, the, the earth and everything, we just blindly walk through. If, if they would just take time, set back and just meditate on the intricate design, because I do believe that that will imply something to them deep in their spirit that there is a designer. I would just say to people that there is a specific revelation out there, just like researchers are trying to discover a cure for cancer. We as human beings, as created ones need to discover the one who designed us and give us life. And that's what I would say, start there, because that will bring hope. You know, you might be viewing this video right now and wondering how you can help, first of all, you know, by being a, a dealer of hope and help and healing. And But what we're really asking for right now is that you would bring the financial part of that um, as well. And so we're asking you to give generously to the Cena Magowitz Foundation so that they can continue those clinical trials that have already produced uh, great results and fruit. Uh, many people are still alive as a result of that. So let's find a cure. Let's, let's invest in prayer and hope and help and healing, but also invest financially and make it happen. Together, we can do it. Thank you both so much for, for your time and for sharing your story. I mean, it's so inspirational, all, every aspect of it from, from leaving the comfort of your home and then taking this journey of never giving up and and seeking healing and, and now even um, having a heart for, to help others, you know, to help others that are going through this journey. It's, it's beautiful to see. And um, I'm honored that you guys would take all this time to share your story with me. And I'm looking forward to being able to administer sharing this story to the rest of our, our viewership, because I know that people are going to be really impacted by it. So as they say, right, in Jerusalem, shalom. Shalom. <laughs> shalom. We'll talk soon. All right, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye.